back to the Forgecast. My name's Sam Towns. And I'm Alex Norton. Before we get into today's episode, let's take a moment to thank our sponsor. Today's Forgecast is brought to you by Weber Abrasives, where Aussie makers get all of the best abrasives at all of the best prices. So hit up Rob today at webers.net.au. Yes, and uh, what have you been up to this week, Alex? Aside from dying of hay fever... Oh man, tell me about it. Oh man, it's, it's been so rough, um, especially being on the farm. Like they're putting in all the seeds at the moment, which is not as bad as when they're harvesting. But yeah, um, the amount the of dust. dust all of the equipment kicks up is just crazy. Yeah, um, so. and spring is sprung. The grass is riz. <laughs> the, the grass is risen a little bit too fast, <clears throat> man. At, in the dead of night, you can hear it. It's growing so fast. Um, <laughs> I'm literally mowing every four days just to keep it down. It's insane. Um, And it's been a bit torturous because I've I've started to get a bit of reputation in the the area that I live that I can just fix anything. Um, People are starting Mm -hmm. to catch on. And so people are dropping off more and more complex things. Um, And one person's um, hydrostatic transmission in their zero-turn mower started screwing up. um, And they dropped it off from in a fix. And I'm just looking at this. This is like one of these big industrial size, like $12,000 zero turn mowers. And I'm looking at it and I'm looking at my massive lawns and thinking, hmm, do I quote unquote test it now that I've fixed it? <laughs> and then just refill the fuel tank. Because um, it's, it's a beauty. But uh, I'll tell you what, I've never driven one before today of those zero mm-hmm. turn ones with the, like, the tank controls. Harder than you'd think. Yeah, right. Um, I was expecting it to be uh, much easier, to be honest, uh, than a steering wheel because, you know, left goes left and right goes right. Um, I I felt like a a learner driver in a manual car. (laughs) If I didn't have neck injuries before, I certainly do now, just whipping around. But anyway, um, I finished that keyhole slip joint um, and it went to one of our listeners, actually. um, Bought it as soon as it was um, available, which was nice. It was their wife's Christmas present to them. Um, Yeah, excellent buy. Really happy with how it came out, too. Really, really happy for my first ever slip joint. First ever uh, keyhole, not my first Mm. slip joint. (laughs) Um, And in the world of slip joints, I've almost finished um uh Q-my slip joint that i'm calling serpent's heart because it's um right. snakeskin juma and purple heart handles with a uh Q-my blade with damascus jacket that's uh damascus that was actually made by you mm. yeah um but i just started doing the etch process on it today it's my first time seeing the the the, the full pattern um Although showed it on Instagram at the same time that I was seeing it uh, for the first time, and I'm, <laughs> I'm really happy with it. It's um, really it looks exciting. fantastic. It's it's gonna look even fantasticer because um, the everyone's sending me messages going, "Wow, that's that's that came out amazing!" But it's not oiled yet. I haven't finished the handle, um, and I haven't finished the etch, so it's actually got it's gonna look a lot better. Um, although 
Um, hopefully be finished by the time this comes out I, I'd like to have it uh, on the market by the end of the week um, it's got a waiting list of people waiting for it but um, they don't know the price yet <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see um, yeah. I've been I started a pair of uh, backlock knives as, again mm-hmm. just um, just monosteel just trying to dial it in as everyone knows I, I go through each knife type and just try and refine the process as best i can so i've already done a pair of backlocks and this is my second pair of backlocks i learned a lot in the first pair that i'm now trying to apply better on the second pair um already learning more on this new pair so um very early days on them but it's coming together uh and on the rapier build um i've got my edge alignment in which was mm. a, a nightmarish process um given that it was rough forged um and i just want to thin the edges a little bit more currently there's a three mil edge i was leaving it extra thick thick with two c's and a q for the heat treatment mm. but um that's still a bit <clears> too <throat> thick for my liking i want to get it down to maybe like 1.5 mil uh, down the edge um, so that I've got a little bit more room to establish rough bevels um, it's currently still got forged bevels remaining on it and I would like to bring it to some at least largely rough ground bevels so that I can get that nice evenness on the heat treat because if I leave it rough forged finish I don't know whether or not the heat's going to hold in certain places more than others because it's being done in a trench forge yeah. So I want to give myself the best odds as possible, but it is sub nine, um, and it's it's hard to kind of, it's hard to stuff up sub, sub nine. But this is uh, 120 centimeters long. What's that in feet? <coughs> uh, 120 centimeters. Four feet. Uh, uh, four feet. Uh, you know the height of Will's Delta. Yeah, it's close to four feet. It'd be like three foot like fucking 10 inches or something like that. something like that it's a it's a long blade being a rapier um but so as as forgiving as sup nine can be or, or 5160 for the people across the pond um <laughs> oh, they're the same steel um <laughs> it 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 uh you still want to on something that long you want to minimize your chances of of skullduggery happening in the heat oh yeah so big time yeah, especially when you're doing it rough with a trench forge. I just wanted to have a period accurate heat treatment process for it, um, <laughs> just it, just for the sheer nerdy nerdiness of it. Um, plus, yep. I don't want to build a Don Fog kiln just to to do this. If I end up doing swords on the reg, um, I, I might end up doing it. I've got a spare yep. barrel. <laughs> <laughs> I live in the country; you can get barrels everywhere. Um, yeah. My song of the week is a. Um, it's a hit of both the 80s and 90s because it was made in the 80s and it was released just in time for the 90s. Um, and it, funnily enough, it's got both the vibe of the 80s and the 90s. And it's from, it's the opening track from one of my favorite movies of all time. And I may cop some flack for this, but my favorite movie, one of my favorite movies of all time is Pretty Woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and the song is King of Wishful Thinking by Go West. It yeah. is. A magnificent song not only is it just it's a really great jam and it's one of those ones that if you haven't heard it for a long time you forget how good of a song it is um until you put it on and then you just start yeah i, yeah. I remember how good this song is but if you've never watched the music video for it you're missing out it is one of hmm. the most 
bonkers, wild, no sense music videos you've ever seen in your life. But once, if you haven't watched it, go and watch it. If you have, or once you have seen it and you're familiar with it, do yourself a favor and look up the shot for shot parody that Jimmy Fallon and Paul Rudd did um, <laughs> on the Jimmy Kimmel show. It is a masterpiece of parody, and it is so funny. It's really, really funny. It just adds an extra dimension of deliciousness to what is already a phenomenal song. Um, so, yeah, I, it, it it sits in uh, both my '80s and my '90s playlist on my on my music uh, player. So, yeah, it, it's just great. What about you, Sam? What have you been up to this week? Well, um mostly just working on stuff that i said i'd never make um (laughs) i've fallen into that trap again um it's a trap that i've found i keep setting for myself where i say i'll never make one of these or i'll never make that thing or i'll i don't want to work on this stuff and then suddenly i make one and then suddenly i get obsessed with making them and can't stop for a man after my own heart yeah, so, you know, like I said, I'd never make scissors, and then I made a set, and then I made 15 sets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Um, I think it's it's a matter of, yeah, just the fact that I'm, I'm, I am obsessive like that. And, uh, yeah, so I made the uh, a sparring cutlass a while back uh, for myself, and then I made two more uh, for my HEMA group, because I have a, a HEMA club where I'm teaching uh, Roeth's... Um, uh, art of defense on foot um and uh yeah so basically uh i've had a couple of people contact me and say hey i'd be interested in a blade <laughs> and um i've been recently uh really struggling really hard with um motivation and with um uh the will to live um <laughs> And, you know, I've, I've had to find things that really do strike joy uh, and, you know, do actually make me want to do things. And, and this stuff has been uh, the one thing that I get out of bed for at the moment um, is, is making swords. It sparks joy. It does. It sparks joy, indeed. Um, Marie Kondo would be happy. Um, mm. <laughs> but yeah, so it's it's one of those things where I've I've sacrificed time on all of the commissions that I have at the current moment and time on uh, videos that I should be making in order to pursue something that's keeping me actively engaged and you know keeping me moving forward because otherwise I was just going to stagnate and you know drop off into oblivion. Mm. The joy is going to um, be there because we were we are artists at the the core of it and art has to come from feeling yeah and i think some of us can get stuck in a rut of making stuff we really don't want to make for periods of time uh when you know when it becomes a necessity out of you know monetary issues and all that kind of stuff and we lose passion for for what we're doing and in this business you can't do this without loving it like yeah the work suffers without the love there we and and we as artisans know that no matter how good you are no matter how good your work is you'll never make you'll never make it rich in this Mm. business right so it's it's not like you're going to retire at 50 doing a bladesmithing (laughs) that's right 
So, um, if you're miserable doing this job, then you're going to fail. The, the business is going to crumble. Um, because it's just not worth it. Like, it's, you know, it's painful. So, I have to find those things that really spark joy in me and bring me back to the forge every now and again. And, uh, yeah, I mean, like, it means that I, I'm still getting out there and it means that I'm more likely to then pick up the stuff that I should be working on. Yeah. Uh, uh, and luckily Cre- I have some very creative, un- understanding. It's just a creative holiday, really. It's like uh, an unwind and relax for that, that part of your brain that you need yeah. to be able to be on point and focusing. Unfortunately, I have some very understanding customers and very understanding uh, YouTube subscribers and stuff like that who understand when I have to take a step away from all the things I'm doing, no matter how much it makes me feel like shit, uh, to do it. It's, you know, at the end, it's beneficial overall because it means that I come back and actually I'm still doing what I love uh, Mm. at the end of the day. Um, But yeah, other than that, uh, I've been waiting on uh, an order of... um, glass for the platen for my grinder and unfortunately I think it got lost in the mail for a little while so I've got to wait for it to arrive before I can finally get back to flat grinding things so I've been using my 12 inch contact wheel on almost you know uh, the, the only, that's the only thing I've been using and uh, that's one of the reasons why sword making has been the thing that I've done is because it's something I can do quite regularly and easily um, <clears throat> without having to change attachments hmm um, but I do have some plans to do work on that buoy that I forged for the How to Forge, so hopefully I can have it finished before the drawing of the town's Bowie build-off competition, which I've been seeing some amazing, uh, you know, input from that. Uh, actually, one person's already finished, uh, their buoy <laughs> and sent in the results and all that kind of stuff, so, uh, it's, it, the, the competition is heating up, I'm really glad to see it, I'm glad to see so many people getting in on it. Um... And, uh, yeah, no, I've also want to do some stuff for the Forgecast challenge as well, so, uh... Nice. Too many projects, not enough time. Oh, yeah. Don't I know my, it. Uh, my song of the week this week, um... <laughs> now, don't take this the wrong way, I love our American listeners. And, you know, I have some very, very good friends who are American, but holy fucking shit, recently... Have I been inundated with some really, really weird stuff from Americans? <laughs> um, been, I, I don't know what's going on over there, but uh, you know, I hope you guys are all staying safe. But anyway, so going back to my punk roots a little bit, and you know, like back to when everyone was wearing eyeliner and spiky hair. Um, gonna bring out Green Day with American <laughs> Idiots. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a fantastic song. It's really it pump up. It's it's great. And, uh, yeah, (laughs) you know, again, most of the people I know are fantastic people and most of the Americans that I know are great, but there are some weirdos out there, guys. (laughs) I've, I've been to a Walmart. I've seen them. (laughs) The people of Walmart. Yeah. I I used to think that was just a trope until I went to America and went to a Walmart and it's real. It's real. I mean, I've I, I've gone to the website and you know I've seen the photos. <laughs> it was um, I think my my favorite one that I saw. It was a um, easily like six foot eight man in um, all matching red sparkly like spangled um, hot pants, knee high cowboy <laughs> boots, heeled cowboy boots. Um, a crop top 
and like 10 gallon hat all of them red and sparkling um full beard uh gut hanging out he was not in good shape uh but he was rocking those heels he'd practiced (laughs) just shopping normally joe exotic's cousin (laughs) (laughs) you hear them making a tiger king too Oh, God. Yeah, Did I that know. need to happen? No, it really didn't. I mean, Tiger King 1 didn't need to happen. No, it really didn't need they to need happen. to make number 2 happen. Oh, God. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> we have we have a, a shed load of emails, or we could do inspirations first. What are you feeling? Let's let's get to the shed and, and, you know, take out that shed load of emails that we've got to deal with. All right, our first one comes from Brandon, and he says, Cheers from the States. My name is Brandon, and I'm just getting into the craft of blacksmithing. Naturally, when my friends found out, they started requesting loads of weird and difficult stuff for me to make them. One request that seemed simple enough was chopsticks, so I've decided to give that a go. The confusion I'm having is how to make sure they're safe to use and eat with since I'm making them out of quarter-inch round mild steel. I've seen online people saying to treat like seasoning cast iron and was wondering if you guys had any input or advice on the topic. I'm a huge fan of the show and your advice has been instrumental in fueling my passion to learn this timeless art form. Thanks for any advice you can give me and keep up the excellent work you're doing with the podcast. Cheers, Brandon. Well, thanks for writing in. Um, It's it's pretty much what you've read is is right. Seasoning them is a really good way to actually... uh, uh, get that oil seeped in. You just want to make sure that it's with a food grade oil, something, yeah. um, something like you would use in a wok, for example, like rice bran oil or sesame oil. Um, just yeah. be aware that certain people have allergies to certain types of uh, nut oils mm. or sesame oil, even. Yeah, true. Um, yeah, seasoning them is probably yeah one of the best ways to go. Any lacquer or epoxy coating or something like that can flake off and end up in food and. Ugh. I have uh, had uh, good, ex- uh, good. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm having a mental brain fart here. Um, I have done a basically heat to a black heat and then submerging it in rice bran oil, uh-huh. um, and gotten a a, a pretty good rust resistant uh, coating that lasted years before it actually started rusting, and I never re-oiled it in that time yeah, right. it was probably four years um it was one of the first thing i ever made um when i first lit a forge was a spoon a forged coffee spoon and um i looked online to with the same question and somebody has suggested that i don't remember who now uh, and i tried it and it worked amazingly well that thing just was used and living getting washed in the dishes and all that sort of thing only just got its first tiny spot of rust uh literally only a couple of weeks ago yeah meanwhile literally everything that i've made out of uh steel that touches moisture for more than five seconds ends up rusting to hell (laughs) um yeah i like forge cutlery I've, i've done a lot of forge cutlery and i've never had it come out well uh, unless I forged it out of stainless, um, mm. which I recently forged a set of medieval ergonomic cutlery, which got me in some hot water. That's uh, not historically accurate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, I forged that out of uh, stainless, which I believe is actually a question in one of our other emails. But uh, yeah. 
yeah so hopefully that answers your question brandon uh, give the the black heat submersion a, a try otherwise season that bad boy yeah next email comes from xavier and he says, hey, guys, I'm currently trying to catch up on the podcast episodes, listening to three in a day sometimes. Before I get to my question, I'd like to say specifically to Alex that I have neglected to wear safety protection. And recently I had a piece of hot scale fly into my eye. After I got it out, I glanced at the safety glasses on the shelf and sucked up my pride and committed to wear them. Now I'm currently working on a stainless steel paring knife and was wondering how one might go about heat treating it. I once dipped it in my mank tank to cool it off, and it started to do an interesting thing. It looked like it was shooting little pockets of itself out of the piece. Anyway, I hope you understand what I mean. I'm very inspired by you guys and getting to go out in the forge every time I listen. Thanks, Xavier. There you go. Three <laughs> in a day. <clears throat> yeah, I admire the uh, <laughs> admire the dedication. Well, before Sam inevitably goes into an amazing description of what's going on, um, I will point out <laughs> it's a thing that I see quite commonly with, uh, particularly with people new to blacksmithing. They think um, there are all the different types of carbon steels, like 5160 and 1084 and 1070, 1075, and then all of a sudden there's just stainless. There's like one type of steel that is stainless, and it's not the case, but it's a common thing that i see more and more and more i'm seeing this lately that people think stainless is just one of the types of steels there are just as many types of stainless as there are carbon steels uh, and they all act in different ways just like the different carbon steels do so something to keep in mind if you see stainless not all of it's good for knives uh, and not all of it's going to act the same way yeah, I mean that's that's pretty pretty much exactly what my suggestion would be. Um, I like when when someone says to me I'm making a stainless knife. I the first question I ask is what's stainless because mm. <laughs> there are so many different grades of stainless, and many and many 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 of them that you're going to come across are non-martensitic. They're just not knife material. That means um, they can't harden for people. Yeah, that's, who they're, don't they're know what that means. Yeah, Okay, sorry. Anyway. Um, so yeah, um, your, your standard, like your 416, your 316, your 302, all the stuff you'll buy for like marine grade stuff is not knife material, unless you're making guards out of it or something like that. Mm. Um, but no, in reality, it's more about the, uh, carbon content and the chromium content and that kind of stuff is depends on your heat treat because your heat treat is going to differ wildly depending on what content of alloy you have in your stainless and more From often the- than not a stainless steel um a knife martensitic um stainless steel is going to have a more complex heat treatment procedure than a lot of carbon steels oh yeah 100 percent. uh even the very basic like stainless steels the ones that um you know start out the starting stainlesses for for beginner mm-hmm. knife makers like 440 c yeah 440 c or like 12 c 27 or 14 c 28 n um, even those require, you know, five to 10 minute soak times at a thousand degrees Celsius and above, um, to, to, you know, organize their carbides and, and to make sure that the alloy goes into solution. What it sounds like could be happening. Like it's, it's hard to tell exactly what you're trying to describe, like little pieces of the knife popping off it. I will I mean, interject here and say that no carbon steel 
or, or high carbon steel of any kind, whether it's carbon or stainless, should be cooled off in water. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, not if it's red. It's like, yeah, if, if it's a black heat. But basically, if you touch it to the water and the water sizzles even mm-hmm. a little, it was too hot to put in there. I mean... Eh. I mean, it's a good rule of thumb is what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, te- technically, as long as it's not above the austenitizing uh, temperature, it's not going to be, you know, not going to be negatively affected. Hmm. Um, but for, for beginners, it's a good good uh, rule, good rule of, thumb. of thumb. Just yeah. don't let it sizzle. Put a couple of, sprinkle a drop on it. If it sizzles, don't cool it off in the water. Yeah, when uh, the, the big one is like when you're grinding and stuff like that, you're going to be cooling it off in water regularly. Um, and I can't, it won't sizzle, I, though. <laughs> no, it won't sizzle, no. It shouldn't be. Uh, you, that's why you don't grind with gloves. Um, I would say that, um, what you're experiencing may be scale pop off, which the, like stainless scale is incredibly, uh, brittle and also hyper tensile. So what happens with, um, stainless scales, a lot of the time it will literally throw itself off the, the piece. If you've ever, like, you probably haven't seen it, but if you've welded with a stainless electrode on an arc welder, the scale once the the weld cools the scale will literally shoot off <laughs> at high velocity uh as the right the piece, into your eyeball as the piece cools and if you um you can watch youtube videos on it and stuff like that of people who are heat treating stainless knives uh without the foil wrapper and what they do is they take the blade out and you can actually hear it like rice krispies in milk mm. you know it's like that as the scale just flakes off <laughs> the piece uh, violently um, as it cools. So um, it could be that that's what you're experiencing. If it's like post-grinding, I wouldn't even know where to begin on what pieces would be coming off the steel at that stage. Like, that sounds... Yeah, I, I would not even know how that would be physically possible for it to be coming off the bare steel. Mm. Um Unless there's some form of, like, severe carbide segregation in which the carbides are popping loose. Send us a video. Yeah. Yeah. Put a video up on Insta or something like that and tag us. Yeah, or... tag us. Yeah. Because I'd be really interested to see. Because I'm, 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 yeah. Unfortunately, given your description, I, I'm not entirely certain. Yeah. So, hopefully that helps, Xavier. But uh, keep on plugging away at it. Because it's better to be forging and failing than not forging. Hmm. So. Exactly. Our next email comes from Jay, and he says, Hey, guys, huge fan of the show. I recently broke a bone in my hand in a fall, the fifth metacarpal. Uh, For those listening at home, the fifth metacarpal is the long bone under your pinky that attaches your pinky knuckle to your wrist. Yeah. Um, And he says, I am out of action for a month. I should be fully recovered after. My doctor says I can return to physical activity then. I explained to him that I'm black. I am a blacksmith, but I don't think he understood my concern. Can you think of any adaptation to a hammer shaft or my technique to reduce stress on the edge of my hand? I've attached a photo to show where I'm trying to reduce impact stress. So I would be focusing on the pinch grip, basically, and yep. trying not to flick with your pinky. Um, just index finger and thumb, rest of your fingers loose. Yeah, I would, um, yeah, that's exactly where I was going to go. The other one I would recommend is going for a heavier hammer. Um, so, 
contrary to what we normally say, when we when we normally say that you should your daily driver should be about two and a half pounds, that is when you can drive with that flick, when you can add that extra, you mm. know, speed because it's all about speed and mass. If you're not adding extra speed th- with your arm, then you need to be adding extra mass to the head. Um, and so you might find that a pinch grip and, you know, a slightly heavier hammer is going to help you, uh, in moving steel. Um, the other one I would suggest if you haven't tried it already, and if you haven't tried them before, dog's head hammers, uh, specifically normally do not require flicking. Like they don't require the engagement of the pinky finger, um, unless you are a pinky finger gripper. So people naturally either grip with the pinky or grip with their forefinger, uh, you may, if you're a natural pinky gripper, you may actually have to train your hand to grip with the forefinger instead. Um, but yeah, I've found with, uh, especially with slightly heavier dog's heads, you don't engage that pinky finger as much as you would with a an equilateral hammer. Um, also a really good excuse to build yourself a trip hammer. Yeah, that too. Yeah. Trip Fun hammer building or a project while your hand heals. Treadle hammer or, you know invest yeah. in a press <laughs> yeah that's right it's amazing how versatile you can get with a press but uh hopefully you heal up soon dude yeah man I hope so all right next email comes from jeremiah he says hello i've just found your podcast and i love the info and style we are stylish sam mm-hmm. he says i'm not yet a blacksmith but it is in the near future i'm working on accumulating tools on a budget I've been doing research for a couple of years now to learn all I can beforehand, and I have thus far found more info in this podcast alone than through other methods. Love what you are doing and the info and tips you give freely. Keep it up. Ah, no questions, just a lovely email. That's lovely to hear. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad you're enjoying the content. It's what we're here for. Yeah, and if, you're just, if you've just found the podcast, boy, do you have a lot to... Uh, a lot to look forward to we've been doing this for a while yeah you gotta start <laughs> investing three a day you know <laughs> that's right that's that's absolutely right you need to get down to xavier's level <laughs> <laughs> and our final email comes from trevor in texas and he says hey guys i'm about to start getting into wood carving but would like to make my own tools i was thinking of forging out a sloyd knife to start with and was wondering if i should keep the heat treat and tempering process the same as a typical edc knife or if i should leave it a little harder than i normally would since there shouldn't be any impacts that'll cause a break that would be the pro uh, what would be the pros and cons of a hard edge versus a quote-unquote normal temper for the usage expected in wood carving as always loving the show and i hope to see more of the gorgeous keyhole folders alex has been putting out and that things get better for you sam on the health side of things heavily considering picking up one of the scissors or a new hammer off of your etsy much love from texas trevor you should absolutely just raid Sam's ex- Etsy. His his hammers are great, and Surprisingly, I definitely want his scissors too. I sneakily put up another one of the uh, the Viking cross pins, and it hasn't sold oh, yeah. yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think. Tre- I, <laughs> get under the Don't think anyone noticed that I relisted one. <laughs> All right, so of everybody listening to this show, it's the race is on now. It's get a- on it. <laughs> uh, his Viking cross peens are one of my favorites. He made one for my mate Adam 
a while back and I got to see it again because Adam was um, assisting me at the uh, country show that happened recently and mm-hmm. I got to use it again. I'm like, oh, this is such a good hammer. <laughs> <laughs> just want to, you know, just steal it, see if Adam notices. I yeah. think he would, though. Um, I reckon he would. It's like, this isn't your hammer, but it's got my name on it. Oh, no, I just do that on all of my hammers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um i would go with the uh the the ideal temper that you should be putting on any any knife really uh any small knife i It'll, wouldn't be making leaving it extra hard yeah it's it's it very much comes down to the alloy you're using as well um yeah. like i mean if you're going to use something like sup 9 or a spring steel then you're not going to get as much of a hardness out of it as you would with say something like 52 100 which is a great steel to use for wood carving tools oh, because my, it's high chromium. My content. go-to, yeah, my yeah. my go-to is is fifty-two one hundred. Just a little trickier to heat treat. That's all. Yeah, that's it. Worth and, it though. And um, yeah, when when it comes to leaving hardness, it it comes down to not only the shock but also deflection. And in carving, a lot of the time you're putting a little bit of lateral stress on the blade. Yeah. And if you've got a very thin cross section, which you should in a carving knife, you should have a very thin cross section. It's really easy to chip blades out um, if they're not tempered well enough to flex. Yeah, it's kind uh, of like an extreme brass rod test doing a book yeah. whittling session, really. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Um, but yeah, so like my advice would be to choose an alloy that is suited for it and to heat treat it to, you know, like fifty nine, you know, sixty Rockwell. Maybe a little bit harder than you may maybe usually do, but not much. But like Sam said, leave that to the alloy that you choose less than the um, uh, just sort of modifying the heat treatment. Uh, 5200 just naturally gets harder. Um, W2 is another good one. It gets, it's just a harder steel. Yep. Um, but I, I know a lot of people work with sort of scraps and they're using old leaf springs and, and rebar and things like that to make knives when they're first getting started. And there's a limit to the amount of hardness, hardness you can get out of those. Um, but if you leave something a little too hard, especially if you're on a sloyd knife, you've got a fairly aggressive tip uh, towards the end of those are some of the designs. And if you're yeah. trying to carve out a, like an eye hole on a green man or something, if you are carving that, you can risk just shearing that tip off if you leave yeah. it too hard. So, Better to have to sharpen to... your blade if it dulls than to have to sharpen out chips. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So... Um, that 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 would be what uh, what we would suggest and you know if you're getting into wood carving our forge cast challenge at the moment is to make a wood carving set don't forget guys so yeah. uh n- not only can you make your own and enter it into the forge cast challenge you might be able to pick up one from somebody else that's entered in so I know <laughs> a few people are working on them <laughs> and i know i'm going to be hint hint if you like keyholes hint hint um <laughs> anyway uh, that's all the emails out of the way. Who's been inspiring you, Sam? My inspiration of the week uh, this week is, and it is someone that's uh, inspired me for a long time. I'm not sure if I've used him as an inspiration before. I think I may have at uh, some time in the past. <coughs> but he is a uh, two-time Fortune Fire winner um, and a an ABS journeyman. And he specializes in doing all kinds of really cool kind of medieval adaptations. Um, lots of, you know, like Viking stuff and, and early medieval, early Renaissance stuff, stuff like that. Um, and he, he really brings out a lot of the, the flourish in them. He likes to do like 
uh, engraving uh, and jewel inlay and stuff like that. Uh, and I've just always really, really liked his work. It's always super clean, it's always super simple, but it's also always that just that little bit more opulent. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so my inspiration is Matthew Parkinson. Um, he goes by Sword Matt on Instagram, or one word. And uh, he's made some spectacular swords and stuff like that recently. Um, and his Journeyman Smith set was amazing. Um, he he, when he was on um, Forge and Fire, he was actually I think he I think it was the first episode. He was the winner of the first episode. All right, um, with the katanas. Yeah, he was the he, bullet split. That's it. Yeah, he needed the katana. That's right. Uh, and he took, like, a modern approach to a katana, but also, you know, made it really sleek. Um, but I, I just loved his approach in that whole episode, because, you know, he did the continental sax with the, with the, uh, serrations. <laughs> yeah. But that was a requirement. Ugh. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, it's one of those things where, uh, he, he committed all of those pieces really well. Like, he, he, he completed them all really well he didn't leave anything to chance and uh yeah no I've, I've just followed him for a long time actually uh he was one of the first videos i found on youtube of how to make gravers uh he actually has a video on making a simple w1 graver um and he yeah it was the first video i ever watched on that way back before i started any of this engraving lock <laughs> so um He's definitely well worth a look at. Um, he's done some really good educational content on YouTube and on Instagram. I think he goes under Matthew Parkinson on YouTube and Sword Matt on Instagram. He also works at Dragon's Breath Forge, where uh, Peter Burt used to work and Jamie Lundell still does. Um, yeah, cool. Yeah, he's he's kind of like the chief guy there these days. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, he's an amazing maker and definitely well worth checking out. Who's been inspiring you? Alex. Well, uh, everybody knows that I love uh, upsetting the trolls, uh-huh. and um, in in elaborate and long-winded ways. Uh, <laughs> see my scrap verse known steel video. Mm-hmm. Um, but somebody recently uh, really inspired me by uh, doing an even longer-winded um, <laughs> sort of screw you to the trolls. Um, and it was actually someone that a lot of people will probably be familiar with. Um, and uh, because of Alex Steele's channel, it's Jason at Fireball Tool. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, he was constantly getting shits thrown at him in the comments by saying that he was filing wrong. And I know everybody does. It's like um, if you are seen dragging your file backwards across work, you inevitably get the comments, regardless of whether... I'm, I, I have the same technique as Jason. I, I do drag my file back, but with no pressure. Yeah. But if you look at it on a video, you can't see that there's no pressure. So you, yep. you, people think that you're dragging it back and forth. Um, but I'll tell you what, he even proved me wrong. I thought it was bad to have pressure on the backstroke as well Mm. and jason if you haven't seen it on his youtube channel which you should absolutely follow called fireball tool um did a two-part episode where he built an insanely complex rig (laughs) yeah just to prove that files um aren't damaged at all by dragging backwards and in Mm. fact it it it's more efficient (laughs) (laughs) um 
the the complexity that he went the work he put in just to prove people wrong yeah <laughs> in the most thorough way possible that could brook no further argument uh because he covered every possible angle oh but it will um, <laughs> <laughs> and he did it in a really polite... I'm not polite when I do it. I suppose the Scrap vs. Known Steel video is pretty polite, but since then I've learned the error of my ways and I just tell people that they're idiots. Um, but wherever there is a video of you doing something online, there will be people telling you you're doing it wrong. Uh, armchair warriors are everywhere, as we talked about a few episodes ago. And people love to just sit there and comment on other people's work when they themselves are not doing it. And um, it was amazing to watch Jason put out these beautifully worded, beautifully planned, beautifully executed, and my favorite part, unnecessarily over-the-top and complex (laughs) um, rebuttals to this constant argument that he got thrown at him. Uh, it It was perfectly executed. I doff my cap to him. Um, and it was a joy to watch and I realized I hadn't actually been subscribed to him uh, even though I've seen him pop up in other videos and and whatnot um, uh, and I'd been I realized I must have just been watching his videos off recommended on YouTube so yeah got a subscribe from me and I found he's on Instagram as well uh, fireball tool all one word and um, I hope to see more of that sort of thing to be honest, because it was so well done. Um, I, I couldn't have, couldn't have done it better if I tried. Also, his workshop is godlike. Yeah, I would, it is. I would just, it's insane. That's just a dream workshop. It just most of like half the video is awesome content. The other half of the video is just workshop porn. Yeah. So yeah. I've, I've seen his workshop in many parts, you know, through Alex Steele and Will Stelter's videos and Will has done a whole bunch of stuff on Instagram with him. And yeah, every time he posts something, it's it's a new tool, and he's got no, like you know, just... water jets, laser cutters, shapers, mills, laser. I'm like, God, I hate this guy. <laughs> As somebody who is working in a 150 year old wooden uh, version of a 20 foot shipping container, it's uh, yeah, I just look at it and drool. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I I, I uh, as a guy who's only got a three inch jawed um, post vice. And oh I, man, his post vice is yeah. so big. <laughs> I was like, you know, and I'm looking for like a six inch post vice, and this <laughs> Jason's got this fucking six hundred kilo monstrosity in his shop. <laughs> Fire engine red too. Yeah, I know. It's, it goes faster. <laughs> That's right. It's the fastest color. But yeah, no, oh, I was well, I was surprised at the uh, at the outcome of that because like I've I've been guilty of telling people don't drag back on your files. Yeah, me too. Uh, and like, it, a lot of it for me comes from saws. Like, I've run a bandsaw blade backwards accidentally, and then once you've done that, it will not cut forwards. Like, you just it will not cut. It's just it's dead. So I figured the the same thing would happen to a file. But there you go. Uh, I mean, it only does cut in one direction. We kind of, you know. Well, actually, the video showed that it kind of cuts in the cuts other direction the as well. Direction. But it's I more know. like friction cutting, but still it's it's contributing to it. I'll tell you what, my expensive third files are still going to be one-way files yeah. after the video. Um, but still, I'm not going to feel as as guilty about my uh, low-pressure back drag that I do. Yeah, me too. So, um, yeah, I'll have to try and reach out to get him on the show, see if he's interested, because um, that guy does... He's got his finger in so many different 
pies in metalworking that uh, would be fascinating to hear from it. Would be. Yes. So, um, with emails and inspirations out of the way, that, of course, brings us in to Tool Time. Tool Time. And Tool Time this week is tantalizing your eardrums, thanks to the most epic knife-making supply company in Australia who also ships internationally, and that is Nordic Edge. So the next time you're stocking up on goodies for your knife-making shenanigans, be sure to visit nordicedge.com.au first. And Tool of the Week this week is actually a viewer or listener suggested one, and that is Tumblr's. Very handy little tool, um, I, I especially say, if you were... I have to say before we that? jump into it, I keep waiting for basting your ear turkeys again. <laughs> I just, like, every time makes me chuckle. I've been trying to top that one. <laughs> but I just... You can't top that. It's so good. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, um, carrying on. <laughs> Tumblers. I, oh, it's actually funny. I, I have... Um, uh, like a mild ear infection at the moment um and it is leading to the skin being dried out and the actual doctor recommended technique is to actually put a couple of drops of vegetable oil mm-hmm. in it it helps moisten it in a safe way um and the the dropper looks like a tiny little turkey baster, <laughs> baster and, and i'm doing it and i just burst out laughing because i'm my ears <laughs> oh man we have fun here uh, it's it's the little things it is but um no tumblers handy little thing especially um you can uh use them for stone washing mm-hmm. if you've ever tried doing the old uh shaken shake and bake oh man stone yeah. wash you very quickly start thinking of ways that you could build yourself a tumbler yeah and i mean <laughs> It, it can be anything, like, it can be really simple or it can be stupidly complex. Um, yeah. Uh, you can actually buy, uh, like, lapidary sort of tumblers mm. on eBay fairly inexpensively. Little motorized things. It's just a barrel with fins on the inside that agitates the, the medium. Yeah, or you've got uh, anyone who does reloading, um, like, for, for shooting, has probably got an ultrasonic tumbler. Uh, I mean, I know yeah, I, I, I need do. Yeah, get me one of those. Yeah. Um, and they're fantastically useful for polishing up brass and stuff like that. Um, that's the thing. It's not just, I mean, stonewashing is the opposite of polishing really. Yeah. But if you get the medium right and you get the speed right, you can use the same setup to polish in yeah. incredibly detailed ways. Yeah. Um, Robert Herbert, who's, um, uncle Herbie <laughs> in the, uh, in the Australian knife making community uses a large industrial tumbler to, uh, polish his blades uh as they're out of heat treat and uh so does liam hoffman funnily enough for his axes he has a he has a large industrial tumbler tumbler that uh uses like ceramic media to mattify the axe blades and clean them up because just like we were talking about with uh sandblasting cabinets the one tool mixed with a variety of different media can achieve vastly different results yeah, uh, on different materials. So uh, you can do everything from um, texturing brass parts to removing burrs and sharp edges to polishing to all sorts of uh, texturing techniques for surfaces, uh, all with tumblers, whether or not you go out and buy one for $200 or have a big industrial one like, like Sam was talking about, or you just get a bit of PVC pipe, um, 
put a cap on either end and have a, a, a spindle that you attach to your drill and put a, a zip tie around the trigger so it just slowly turns. <laughs> yep. It works. It, you know, it's, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But a tumbler is a very useful tool because it saves you having to do it. Mm. And that's the, the ultimate goal, really, is if you can just set and forget something, it, it, means it frees you up to be able to work on other things. Consider a tumbler the next time you are tooling up your shop. Yes. And speaking of tooling up, our topic of the week is going back old school. We're going to talk about the design of building your solid fuel forge because we see a lot of them. It's it's a, a, a early breakout that a lot of beginner forgers do is they want to make their own forge. And building a gas forge can be an intimidating task. And so a lot of people's first forge um, and sometimes first few forges are solid fuel forges, whether it's coke, uh, coal, charcoal, what have you. Solid fuel is usually the way to go. And you see everything from brake drum forges to ones made out of old cooking pans or cast iron pots. Or if <laughs> they've got a little bit of welding experience, they'll actually make them out of sheet metal and, and weld them together. But there are certain design characteristics that will actually help or hinder you while you are building them. They're mm-hmm. considerations that you really have to take into account. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the first, like, four forges I ever built were solid fuel forges of mm. various design. <laughs> yeah, well, one of your most recent ones is a channel forge. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's um, it's kind of loosely based on the Japanese style of channel forge. Um, Weeb. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, like, it, it, the... The whole idea is to put the piece where you need it in order to get it heated up mm. and to utilize the natural uh, layering effect that charcoal has in its oxidization layers that allows you to get a, you know, oxidizing neutral and, you know, reoxidizing layer in your fire. Mm. So what Sam's talking about there is that in order to make charcoal burn, it needs heat and oxygen. It yep. is the fuel. Um, so the the uh, fuel that is closest to the air vent or the twier in your forge is going to burn first, which means that there is going to use up some of that air that's coming out of the twier, and then for the next layer above it is going to have less air um, in order to make itself burn, and then the layer above that will have a little bit less, and that's how you achieve a reducing atmosphere. And it's about packing your forge correctly, layering it correctly, and putting your work in at the right position above the twier where the air is coming in. Yeah, or beside the twier if it's a side blast. Um, mm. And and that layering is fairly uniform in like as far as if you're using the same media all the time. Um, the, the layers will be different sizes in something like a coal fire as it will to be for a pine charcoal fire. Mm. Uh, and the density of your media and and all that kind of stuff is going to directly affect how that works and also affect the size and shape of your pot. Um, and that is one of the most common mistakes that I see with people who make them is if they're doing a pot style with a bottom blast, um, they make the fire pot far too deep. Mm. Uh, far far too deep. i've seen six to eight inch deep fire pots yeah. that are actually only about eight inches across yeah 
Uh, it's just far too deep. Um, the one that I have quite a large fire pot for what I, uh, the the sort of hobbyist style work that it is used for. I mean, the types of projects I'm doing are fairly small, um, and it's about uh, three inches deep, mm-hmm. and it does everything I need it to do. But it's about a foot wide. Yep. And that's what you want. You want that. Um, I actually have. Uh, it's a square fire pot, and I have a very old video on my YouTube channel where you can see this. It's a, it's a foot square, um, nice square corners, and I've actually created an inverted pyramid uh, with mm-hmm. refractory down into the corners of there to create that funnel shape um, and uh, an air vent that's only about eight by eight centimeters. Um, but the that air vent as well makes a big difference the shape of it will direct the flow of the air if you have just a single hole depending on if you have got uh inside the where where the air is entering your twier from your blower if it's coming in from the side it's got to sort of flow around inside that twier before it goes up through the vent um and so if your vent just has one hole in it it might be coming out at an angle yeah and you can actually see this by holding a, like a tissue over it and moving it around and seeing where the air blows from. But if you cover your twier in a, like a grate that's got lots of uniform holes all over it, um, it will actually disperse that air and make it all travel in a more uniform direction, giving you a more even heat into your fire. Hmm. Yeah, and um, one thing I, I get asked occasionally is like, is there a maximum size of forge or a minimum size? There Not is with that attitude. There is definitely a minimum size. Um, <laughs> you know, if you can't fit more than one or two pieces of your, you know, burning media, whatever it is, <laughs> above your twier, then probably too small. Um, but realistically, there is no maximum size. You could have a charcoal forge that was six meters by six meters. Provide- As is evidenced by the old-fashioned uh, industrial forges. Yeah, the anvil forges. They were amazing. Mm. Um, but the, again, it comes down to how much media do you want to burn? <laughs> um, and how much air can you put in? Like, you know, you need a very large blower to supply such a large bed because, you know, you need to like have multiple air grates in order to feed that large of a fire. Mm-hmm. You couldn't just have one single point. <laughs> Which is what I'm going to be doing in the channel forge that I'm making for the uh, rapier's heat treatment. I'm going to actually be running a large steel pipe down the bottom of it with multiple uh, holes all the way down it so that I get uh, even air input across the entire length of the forge. Yeah. And that's it. So, like, um, realistically, for what we do, or general blacksmithing... Anything larger than what Alex has got is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Um, and in terms of, like, coal versus charcoal, a charcoal forge needs slightly more depth than a coal forge does. Coal forges can basically be dead flat and just have the mound of coal on top of the flat. And in fact, it used to be, back in the late 1800s, it was quite common for a harrowing disc to be used. Yep. I've made them out of harrowing discs. Yeah, Uh, you don't need to add any extra depth. No, and I've used that for charcoal as well. You just need to pile the charcoal a little higher. Oh, yeah, that's Um, right. I've actually got photos on my Instagram and video of me using a harrowing disc forge uh, at a medieval event that I used. (laughs) I I made it for for traveling forging. 
very simple. And like the the air blast isn't even coming from the bottom. It's literally a pipe welded on that points to the center. That it's above mm. the above the rim. Like it's the simplest forge design you can ever come across. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've seen guys forge in literally just a pile of charcoal with a hairdryer pointed at it. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, uh, as long as you're supplying that oxygen and, and burning the material, then you can get it done. Um, but yeah, it, it depends on how in depth you want to go. There are industrial shaped and sized uh, side blast and bottom blast forges made in England that you know are designed with like water cooled tweers and stuff like that. Mm. You can get really in depth with it, but a little um, hard to make in the home shop. But yeah. Um, some t- you can still actually find those uh, water-cooled tweers lying around the place. Yeah, absolutely. Some people mistake a lot them, of them for them cone would- mandrels. <laughs> yes. And a lot of them would actually pass the air through a water chamber. Mm. Um, basically, the pipe would uh, run through the middle of a large tank filled with water that was behind a, like a heat-insulated wall um, on some of the larger forges, and it would cool the air and, and stop the pipe from oxidizing too much. And it wasn't just a water jacket around the pipe that was actually sitting in the forge. It was um, the actual passage of the air would be cooled via the water as well. Very cool stuff. Yeah. But, um, for, but for practical purposes, a pot forge of like 12 inches by 12 inches is going to be like bigger than you'll ever need. Yeah, like a little wheel hub. Yeah. Um, that's about the size of my pot forge. And uh, that's a bottom blast um, with standard setup that you'll find like a million videos of on YouTube. And if you want to work on stuff like swords and long blades and long stuff, then a channel forge is really hard to go past because you can feed right through that neutral layer, you know, whatever length you like. Um, And that's one of the reasons why the Japanese chose it is because they can use it for stuff like katanas and and things like that. Uh, It is specifically built for that. They actually do have bottom blast forges for Japanese blacksmiths, um, but swordsmiths specifically used the... uh, the Fuego uh, blower and it was technically a I can't remember the word for the channel forge but anyway Island Blacksmith would be able to tell you he would yeah he's probably got a video on it <laughs> he does I think he's got one where he builds an ad hoc one in a park yeah yeah I saw that brilliant yeah it just shows how simple it can be exactly I mean yeah a hole in the ground um, <laughs> well, yeah. as long as you've got air supply now, that air supply is important because one of the um, most common mistakes that we see um, with beginners making forges is two things. One is that they don't see that air functions as a liquid. Yeah. Um, and so there's pinch points uh, in, in their design, which we'll get to in a sec. And the second one is that they don't have a way, if they're using an electric blower, they don't have a way to vent excess air. And it yeah. leads to blower burnout, which we've talked about in the past using air gates, which can be very simple or very complex, depending <laughs> on how serious you are about it yep. um, or how much time you can be bothered spending on it, really. Um, but the talking about the, the fluid dynamics of it is if you had a, um, a, a pipe that was six inches in diameter and you were pumping enough water down it that it was filling the entire pipe. But at one end of it, you only had a nozzle that was about, you know, three-eighths across. (laughs) 
then you're not going to get enough uh, as much water that's going down the pipe coming out of that nozzle because it's that pinch point there's only so much water that can go through at once air moves in just the same way exactly the same way yeah so if you are trying struggling in your forge home built forge to get airflow coming even though you're using a good crank blower or or a, even a mattress inflator or, or a hairdryer or something, but you're just not getting the airflow through to your forge, look at where is the smallest place that the air has to go through because the smallest area that it has to go through is going to dictate the speed at which that air comes out. Yeah, you also run into issues with eddy currents if you have mm-hmm. um, like uh, projections inside your air system wherever they are. You'll find that the air will try and turn back on itself. Uh, and if you don't have an easy way for it to then continue flowing, <laughs> then it will try and go back out the way it came. And that's where we get back pressure. Um, and that's where we were talking about air gates. Most people end up using like a ball valve or, you know, like a, a shut off where it doesn't actually vent the air. It just stops it <laughs> mm. or, 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 uh, or reduces that orifice. But, which puts more and more strain on the, the <clears throat> propeller or impeller or whatever the blower's using. Yeah, precisely. If your if your blower doesn't have a, a ramping function, like if it hasn't got an inbuilt ramping function, um, some people end up wiring through them through dimmer switches, but that ends up putting weird loads on the on the motor itself mm-hmm. and can burn them out. Um, but if it doesn't have a natural ram- uh, ramping function, then it's just going to be running at full blast, trying to blow itself out. Um, mm-hmm. and that's how you burn out blowers real fast <laughs> so developing an air gate and as Alex said they can be really simple or really really complex uh, mine's literally a piece of sheet steel in a hole in the side of the pipe that my blower feeds into whereas Alex has a video on how he built a relatively complex um, air gate for his yeah <laughs> and both work just fine yeah. to be honest it's just, it just works out what uh what suits your style really um sam doesn't use a solid fuel forge that often and so i mean it's the same goes for you if you're only going to be able to get out to the forge once a fortnight to have a, a hammer bit of sheet steel will do you just fine if you're relying on it every day something a little bit more sturdy might be handy yeah so um Hopefully, uh, it gives you a pause for thought if you're thinking of building a forge or even upgrading your forge because even though you've got one and it works, it doesn't mean that you can't make a better one. I went through, before I got the, my one uh, that I designed in CAD and, and sent off to Sam to have a friend of his laser cut the parts precisely for me so that I could assemble it together. And I've been using that thing now for about three years. It's brilliant. I couldn't have I couldn't have designed it better, frankly. It's It's ideal. Um, but before that, there were three revisions. Uh, well, actually, technically four revisions of my forge before it got to that. So um, I would just start seeing that it, my particular forge setup had certain weaknesses and I wanted to try and improve on them. And so I would build a new forge and get rid of the old one. And you guys can do that too if you're working with a solid fuel forge. If there are parts about it that just frustrate you, know that you can actually change it and upgrade it. And if you have any specific questions about um, how to fix a particular problem that your forge is having, shoot us an email. Yeah. My my one piece of advice uh, going into it is the same one I give to anyone building a gas forge. Start small. Yeah. Start as small as you physically can. 
start with yeah. a brake drum or start with a like a, a six inch like circle or six inch square and then expand so many people when they get into blacksmithing end up end up making these gigantic sword sized forges because they're like eventually i'll make mm-hmm. swords and so therefore i want a sword sized forge and i'm like you don't need that much heat <laughs> and let's face it like sam has had this happen i've had this happen oh, we all i know it. a lot of other blacksmiths have this happen <clears throat> You're eventually going to collect forges just like you collect anvils. It's just going to happen. Yeah. People ask me like, oh, you know, oh, you've got a forge. And I'm like, uh, one or two. And they're like, how many do you have? I have four forges. I have. <laughs> and I'm working on a fifth. Three, four, five, six, seven. I have seven forges. <laughs> and two foundries. No, 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 you don't. You don't, Sam. You have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a problem. It's the, you don't have seven forges you have one problem <laughs> well i got 99 problems but a forge isn't one <laughs> but a forge ain't one. <laughs> oh god we have too much fun on this show we do we do so uh speaking of which we've had too much fun and we need a holiday <laughs> yes as, i mean yeah we, we sound like we're having fun we are we are we do have fun doing this we are, but both both Sam and I uh, also work full time making our our knives, um, and so every so often we need to have a bit of a break from extracurricular activities. As you guys know, long term followers of the show know that occasionally we take a holiday. Right about this time and, of year, uh, normally. <laughs> usually, yeah, and it's um it's been a while since we've had a holiday. I realised mm-hmm. um been quite a while, and so we don't really need a long one, to be honest. We're doing all right. We're having some fun. We got some good guests lined up, um, in talks with them, and uh, a couple of special episodes. So uh, we're going to be back before Christmas, um, and uh, that will, uh, we, we wouldn't miss wishing all y'all a happy Christmas, of course, or, or Hanukkah, <coughs> or Kwanzaa, or whatever it is that you celebrate. Exactly, Yule. Um, but yeah, we'll be back soon. We are going to just take a just a short break. We'll still be poking around on the the social medias, so you don't need to worry about that. But um, keep those questions rolling in, and we'll probably do. They'll probably build up while we're gone, and we'll do a uh, a listener email special when we come back. Yeah, no, send us in uh, all your uh, stuff so we don't have to think about a topic for the week. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Because um, while it's just a, an hour out of your day, it's a, a fair amount of work to, to prepare and, and run a show like this. So uh, every so often we need just a little break. I'm sure you guys understand. Um, the Forge Cars competition, though, is still running while we are having a break. Um, and so you need to, if you haven't been keeping up with that, make a beautiful set of wood carving tools which must include at least a Warncliffe whittler a spoon gouge and a bowl carving knife at least you can do more if you want but we want to see a matched beautiful set and we want to see that they work so show us the carving tools and throw a video on showing that you don't have to be making something beautiful just show us that they work um, and this competition has prizes from Otway Fiddleback first prize is three handle blocks second prize is two third prize is one um, he's beautifully stabilized by um, Dean at, at uh, Reclaim Creative. Beautiful woods. Um, it's going to be a bit of a surprise what you get. He has actually told me now um, what they are, but yep. uh, I'm, I'm keeping it as a surprise. They're all beautiful. They're all stunning. Excellent. So it is very much well worth uh, contributing. If you are going to 
uh, enter the competition, use the hashtag ForgeCast competition on the Instagrams. Or if you're not on the Instagrams, send us an email with your photos uh, and video to um, submit your entry. And that is being judged. Or the entries close on the 1st of January, in the first day of 2022. And um, the, the next episode after that point is when you will be getting the results of that. So uh, in addition to that, Sam's got his buoy challenge, which you've got to go to his YouTube channel to um, watch the video on to get all the rules. <coughs> yep. Um, I've got my entry in the works. Yeah, it's, it's currently running, and it's running until the same time as the uh, Forgecast competition. First prize yeah, is a full engraving set from me. Mm-hmm. My full engraving set. <laughs> Which I'm going to win. Uh, yeah, of course. Uh, and we have a number of other prizes. We've, we've actually got five prizes so far. So We're up to 20 prizes. Yeah. <laughs> no, we're up to five, but uh, all of them are pretty awesome. So um, if you're interested in getting in on it, head on over to my YouTube channel, check out the uh, Bowie Build-Off, um, and use the hashtag TownsBowieBuildOff on Instagram to let me know that you're in just you shut your mouth (laughs) (laughs) anyway all right so um we will see you guys pretty soon not too long i know you'll miss us i know you love us of course but um in the meantime where can they find you sam you can find me uh, on YouTube at Samtown's Bladesmith. You can also find me under that moniker at uh, Instagram, Facebook, Etsy, Patreon, Redbubble, uh, the Kitchen Sink occasionally, and Twitch. Where can they find you, Alex? I go by Valhalla Ironworks, and you can find me on Facebook and Instagram, YouTube, Etsy, Redbubble, Patreon, oh, everywhere. Like a bad smell, you can't get rid of me, except for the Christmas break. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. You finally got rid of us. Congratulations. (laughs) All right. We're going to go take care of our hay fever and our pile up of jobs. Meantime, I'm going to get some sleep. That's a good plan. I need need my beauty sleep. (laughs) Beautiful enough already. Staying this handsome takes work. (laughs) All right, guys. See you later. See ya.